God, thank you so much for today, for this morning, that we have time to share together. We have time to, to come together as a church family, to, to lift up your name in praise, to sing your praise, and then to open up your word, to be able to hear from you, God, to be able to, to dive in, to hear what we can hear out of your word. God, I pray, as I pray every week, that you would speak through me this morning. God, would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here for you and for no other reason. God, I just pray that you would move in this place, speak through your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to start a new series today, a new four-week series uh, leading up, if you can believe it, uh, there are four weeks until Advent begins. Uh, so, it's uh, pretty crazy, I know, I know there's at least a few of you who already listen to Christmas music, but uh, just fight the urge, fight the urge, folks, it's not Christmas time yet, so, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But there are four weeks, and in those four weeks, we are going to, together, uh, talk through the book of Ruth. We're going to spend four weeks uh, talking through the book of Ruth, and uh, Ruth is, I I think, one of the most beautiful stories uh, that we have in Scripture. Uh, It's a story of, as this uh, tagline says, love that never quits. This is a story of love. It's a story of redemption. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to spend the next four weeks really just diving in and, uh, and talking through what this book has to offer us. Uh, there are, uh, you know, there's, there's some challenges though as we start going through Ruth. Uh, the book of Ruth is not very long, and honestly, it's meant to be read in one sitting. And so uh, here's, you know, we can do one of two things. We can either go all the way to chapter four, see how it ends, and then use that to kind of shape the way we talk about one through three, uh, or we can just just make our way, just go slowly through the book and just kind of feel the tension that is there as we read this book. And whether you've read Ruth or not, uh, it, it doesn't matter. I want to encourage you, though, not to read it during these four weeks. Uh, don't read ahead. Uh, don't get ahead of me. Uh, we'll just kind of travel this road. If you know me, you know which of those two options we picked, right? Uh, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go to the end and then and just ruin it for you. We're going we're gonna to take the slow train all the way through this book of Ruth, and we're just going to kind of unpack the, the things that are happening, the tension that builds in these stories, kind of as the, as the first readers, the first hearers of the story would have as they're listening or reading this story for the first time. Let's, let's feel this tension. Let's feel the weight of what is going on here in this book. So we're going to take it slow. Like I said, I want to encourage you, uh, don't read ahead. If you know the story, uh, just try to tune that part out, right? If you know how it ends, uh, just, just try and stay with me. Try and stay with me as we kind of try to feel the tension and feel the weight of what, what's going on here in the book of Ruth. But we also have to be careful because if we're just going chapter one today, there's a, there's a good to decent chance that we could leave this place just being really depressed at the end of Ruth chapter one. And I don't want that either, okay? Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of go through and we'll just see this morning and we'll see over the next couple of weeks some promises that God has for you and for me even as we read this story uh, in Ruth. And so we're gonna be in Ruth chapter one this morning. Uh, we're gonna be all through Ruth chapter one this morning. And so if you wanna go there, you're more than welcome to go there. Uh, read along with me. If you're in one of our pew Bibles and you need it, it's on page 225. Um, and we will... Like I said, we're just going to go through it nice and slow here as we, uh, as we do sometimes often as we go through Scripture together. We're going to go through nice and slow. So, 
Ruth chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In these days, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. We'll stop right there, pause right there. Because even at the beginning of every story, what are some things we're looking for? We're looking for time, we're looking for places. Just give me some clues about what this story is about, right? Here in verse 1, we have, we have really the time. Uh, and this time, it says, uh, and the days when the judges, uh, and the days when the judges ruled, right? This is the, this is the time, a little, little history, Old Testament history getting up to this point, right? We have Genesis through the really Deuteronomy uh, is kind of God bringing his people to the brink of the promised land, right? We have creation, uh, Genesis 1 through 3, Genesis 6, uh, God regrets making humans because of everything that happens in chapter 3, right? And then from that point on, from Genesis 6 on, God is trying to redeem his people, to pull him, them back to himself. In Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 12, we have God promising Abraham this land, this, this promised land. And so we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's kind of the story of getting up to this promised land. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Joshua. And uh, Joshua, we went through the book of Joshua a little bit, stopped in Joshua chapter 24. But the book of Joshua is really about God's people finally finally coming into the promised land, finally taking this place over, finally taking the place that God had promised them from, from centuries, generations ago. And so after Joshua, we have the book of Judges. And the book of Judges uh, can really kind of be summed up by the last verse in the book of Judges. Actually, if you just, just turn the page one, one back from Ruth. Uh, and we're in the last page of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This kind of sums up the book of Judges here. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. That's basically the book of Judges in a nutshell. There is this kind of cycle in the book of Judges where we have the people of God kind of doing whatever they see fit. They fall into some sort of sin. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge to bring them out of this, to defeat the enemies that have come against them because oftentimes a sin brings enemy with it in the book of Judges. And so God brings up a judge, rises up a judge to these people to kind of fix what's going on. And then you have this cycle. So you've got this, they go from sin to crying out to God to God rising up a judge. There's redemption. And it just starts over and over and over again. And so you have this cycle in the book of Judges. And like I said, there's no better summation of the book of Judges than just verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, we see in the times of the judges... So Ruth is really just kind of a, a snapshot that takes place during this time of the judges. Now there's some scholars who say probably right around chapter 10 is where Ruth is. I don't know that it matters so much exactly where it is, but we just know in, this, in kind of this, this timeline of the judges where everyone was kind of doing their own thing, that God was rising up judges to kind of redeem his people, and then there's just this cycle. In this cycle of everyone doing whatever they want to do, we have this story of the book of Ruth. So, well, that's, that's, that's verse one. We have these, these cycles. And so we have the time. We also have the place. Uh, there was a famine in the land. 
And so a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. So we have the place where we're talking about a famine in the land of Bethlehem, which is ironic because Bethlehem means land of bread. <laughs> so in the land of bread, there is no bread. There is a famine in the, in the land of Bethlehem. Uh, this is kind of the, so they go out to, uh, to Moab. And in Moab, Moab is a place that is kind of known for sexual sin. They are known for idolatry. They are known for following other gods. They are not known for their, their following God. They are not known for their faith in God. They are known for anything other than their faith in God. They have a lot of false gods. There's idolatry there. There's, there's sexual sin that's very prevalent there. And so this is where this man from Bethlehem decides to take his family. There's a famine in Bethlehem. So let's go to Moab. Now, you can question his decision, which we, we will. <laughs> we, can, we can question that decision. But here's a man who's trying to provide for his family. There's no food in the city. So he's trying to go to a place where there is food. We have the place. We have the time. We, we have some of the people here as well. We have, uh, we have Emelech, uh, verse 2. We'll just go to verse 2, and then we'll talk about the people. The man's name was Emelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So we've got the time, we've got the place, we've got the people. This guy's name is Emelech, which uh, the translation of his name means God is king, which is also a very ironic name in the time of the judges, where there were no kings. To have this guy man's name, God is king. He's, he's taking his family away from the land that God has given him into a land where God is, is not well known. He's taking his family. So we've got Emelech, we've got Naomi, his wife, we've got their two sons. And then we get to verse 3 through 5. And this, these, these three verses is kind of like a, there's no details, there's no story, there's no background. It's just kind of just the facts. We get 10 years worth of facts in three verses. Here's what he says. Now Emelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Ten years of history, ten years of, of really a nightmare for Naomi and, and her two daughters. Three verses. And this really is, is what sets the stage for us in the rest of the book. I think the author here, which by the way, the author in the original language, we don't know if it's who it is, but they're brilliant. Their, their writing style is amazing. This is, these are, this is a brilliant author with a lot of different uh, literary tools that they use here. But this sets the stage for the rest of the book. Sets the stage for the rest of the book of Ruth because we have this, this tension there. We have this tension of Naomi who goes with her husband because there's a famine in the land, goes with her husband to a foreign land. Her two sons marry foreign wives. Then her husband and her two sons die. So now it's Naomi and the two daughter-in-laws. Now there's no, there's no mention of any kids from Naomi or the other wife or the two sons. There's no mention of any, of any, uh, of any heirs that are going to come up and carry on the name. 
There's, there's none of this. And so we have this tension here of Naomi, who has literally just lost everything. She's, she's, lost, she's lost everything. This is kind of like the, the curse of all curses, because now you have Naomi, who is widowed, and she has no, no heirs, no sons that are coming up. So Naomi is pretty stuck in this spot, because now there's no one to provide for her. There's no one to provide for her daughters-in-law. There's in a culture where this is what happens. In fact, in the culture, if, if, when you, if you were widowed, what would happen is if, if you had sons, or I'm sorry, yeah, if you had a son, they would be the one to provide. If, if your son dies and you have another son, then that son would kind of take over providing for his, his dead brother's wife. They were, they were just kind of, it was a family of provision. If, if something happens, we're all going to provide. These, these men in the family are going to provide. And so now we have no men in the family, no heirs coming up. And so you have a widowed Naomi and two widowed daughter-in-laws. It's just a bleak picture. This is the background of the book of Ruth. But in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of this kind of hopelessness, there's a little bit of hope. And this is, this is not unusual to this book. It's not unusual to our lives either. But here, here's the hope. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So, they're in Moab with no one to provide. But she hears that God has provided in the promised land, which he has promised to do. All right, God, has, God has provided in the promised land. Well, let's go home where there is food, where there is aid. Let's, let's go home. Let's go home. And so this is, <clears throat> this is kind of a microcosm of the whole book. Into the darkness, into this despair, into what seems like hopelessness, there is light and there is hope. And so they go. We get to verse 7. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and... uh, Sorry. I'm going to stop at verse 9 there. Stop at verse 9. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, it's easy to think, Naomi, what are you doing? Like, why are you sending them away? This kind of seems rude. It seems kind of mean. But Naomi, this is really an act of kindness here from Naomi. And she, later on, we, we see the argument that she gives them. It's a great argument to why they should leave. But these two daughters-in-law, that you can imagine over the last 10 years, all of the things that they have gone through together, the, the relationship that they had built. I mean, family is family, right? And you go through the death of Naomi's husband. You go through the death of each of the two daughters-in-law of their, of their husbands. You can imagine that out of all of that grief, they have built a connection. And they have. I mean, verse at the end of verse 9 there, then she kissed them and goodbye and wept aloud. And they wept aloud and said to her, we'll go back with you to your people. Like, no, no, Naomi, like, we get what you're trying to do, but we're family. We're going to stay with you. But here's the argument that Naomi gives, and it's a great argument. Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? 
Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Now here's Naomi just giving this argument. Like, look, you, I can't take care of you. Go home to a place where you can be cared for. Go home to a place where you can be provided for. Even just saying, I I hope that you find another husband. I hope you find someone who who can love you. I hope you find someone who can take care of you and provide for you. And we, we keep reading here. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother in law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, I want you, if you're in your own Bible, even if you're in our pew Bibles, I want you to just star that word, circle that word, clung, because that's, it's, yeah, it's more than just, Naomi didn't just hug her. This is the, the same word that is used in Genesis chapter 2 when, when we're talking about a man shall leave his family and cling to his wife. Same word. There's, the, there's this deeper than just a, a hug that Ruth gives Naomi. This is a, I am with you. I am yours. I'm not going to leave you. I, I'm, I am here. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods go back with her. And then we get this speech from Ruth, which is really just, uh, if you just, just think about the, the background and think about what Ruth is saying here. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And that's the end of the conversation that we have. There's no more dialogue between Naomi and Ruth that we have in here. That's it. Naomi, uh, Ruth is basically saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. And think about the decision that Ruth is making here. Uh, Ruth is essentially giving up everything to go with Naomi. Ruth is committing to a future where she will always be a widow and where she will always be childless. Two things that are not well looked upon in the land she's going to. And she, she's committing to this future, to be able to stay with Naomi, to be able to stay with her, to be able to, to help her along, to be able to say, now I'm with you, we're family. I, I am, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere. And so, the, in verse 19, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? In verse 20, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now Mara means bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means lovely. Don't call me Naomi anymore. My life is not that. That does not give you an accurate depiction of who I am anymore. You should call me Mara. 
I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, interesting statement when Ruth is standing right next to her. I went away full, God brought me back empty. You can imagine Ruth at this point just head down. I, I've, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. But Mara, <laughs> Naomi, says, I, I come back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So, this is chapter 1. This is the beginning of the story of Ruth. And like I said, it would be easy to to leave this place today after only reading chapter 1 and just feel like, that was heavy. <laughs> like this is this isn't the this isn't that wasn't very uplifting, Pastor Chris. I don't know why you want to do this. I, I, what what is going on here? But I, I don't want to just leave us here. I want to just make sure we're all on the same page moving forward with where this story begins and and kind of the where we where we springboard off of this to, and then just leave us with with a promise from God that we see even in chapter one if you look for it. All right, so here's, here's where we are. Really, I mean, there's, there's kind of just the basics here. We are given in this chapter two places. There's a land of promise. There's a promised land in Bethlehem. We have the land of promise, and we have a land of compromise in Moab. There's kind of this distinction that is, that is drawn out in this, in this chapter. We have the, the promised land where the people of God are supposed to be, where God is going to provide for his people now, there's a famine in this land, and so a man decides to take his family out of the promised land, turn his back on what God has provided for him, take him to the land of Moab, a land of compromise. In fact, if you read in the book of Genesis, I think Genesis chapter 19, <clears throat> we see how Moab was even created. It is a land of compromise, a land where the people of God turned to sexual sin, turned to idolatry, turned to false gods, where, where they had turned their back on God and... and made a place for themselves. This is Moab. This is the place where, where this man, Emelech, takes his family away. So we have this, this tension between these two places. There is a promised land where even in the end of chapter 1, we see in the promised land, God is providing for his people. Their famine is over. There, there is food there. there is, they're getting to town just in time for the harvest. All right, so we have this tension between these two lands. We have these, these two places. We also have two people. Right? At the end of chapter 1, we're really just focusing on these two people. We have Naomi, who's kind of, honestly, if you were just kind of just to put them in the same sort of tension, she would kind of be the, the Moab piece. She's, she's bitter at this point. She, but honestly, I mean, you think about it. If you just thought about Naomi just in chapter 1, you would probably not have a too favorable of look on her. She's kind of just a bitter lady. She even calls herself bitter. It's like she changes her name to bitter just to let you know, this is me. <laughs> right? But honestly, she's, this is a woman who has had some, some real honest hurt in her, lives, in her life. You think about what happened in the last 10 years of her life. Not only did she lose her husband, not only did she lose her two sons, there are no heirs coming up like she's literally lost everything at this point i mean she's 
She's lost it all. And you can imagine that, that she's wrestling just with the question of why. Why is this happening to me? And it, it sounds, it's kind of comparable with me to the book of Job. There's nothing that Naomi did to, to earn or deserve anything that happened. In the same way that Job, Job didn't do anything or earn anything that happened. They're both struggling with the same question of why? Why is this happening to me? So we have Naomi, but we also have Ruth. And Ruth is really kind of just this, this humble, devoted woman who says, look, I, I, I want to honor you as my mother-in-law. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going anywhere. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I want to give up everything that I... Remember, she's, she's a Moabite. She's not from the promised land. She's not from people of God. She is a Moabite. Growing up in this Moabite culture of false gods and idolatry and sexual morality. We have, this is the culture that she comes from. And all of a sudden, she's saying, I'm giving up all of that to be with, with Naomi. I'm going to give up everything. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. I, I'm in. And so you have these, this, this dynamic, this pull between, this tension between Naomi and Ruth. So you have two places, two people. You have two points of need that they have. Right? The first need is probably the most obvious need. They need food. Right? They left Bethlehem to go get food. Now they're going back to Bethlehem to get food. But not only just food, they don't just need food. Right? They're in need of family. Because not only do they not have food, they don't have anybody to provide them with food. There is, there is no one in their immediate family that will provide for them. There is no sons, there are no husbands, there are no men, there are not even any coming up. And so you feel this tension here with, with what's going on here. I mean, this, this really sets up this tension that is going to follow us through the rest of the book. And here's what the tension is. There are two widowed, childless women traveling back to Bethlehem together. How are two widowed, childless women going to get along, and by get along, not just with each other, I'm saying get along in this culture? This is a tension that sets up really the rest of this book. But even, I mean, this, this paints kind of a dark picture of, of what Ruth is. And chapter 1 is kind of a dark picture of what's going on in the book of Ruth. But the author here is setting up this tension that we're going to see in the next, in the next few chapters of, of, of how God plays into this. How the story that God tells in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all these complications of, of life that they have. God tells an amazing story over the next three chapters. But even in chapter one, like I said, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the despair, there's still hope. There's still light. Because even though we have these two places, we have these two people, we have these two points of need, but even, even in chapter one, we have really two pictures of God that Naomi gives. Even when Naomi gives back, verse 20 and verse 21. I just want to read these again. Verse 20 and 21. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Now, 
even in these statements, which are negative statements, to be sure. Listen to how she talks about God. Listen to the words that she uses. She doesn't, she doesn't use God's name. She uses a title of God and she uses a characteristic of God. She, in, in the very, and she calls him, here's, here's the first one. She talks about the greatness of God. She uses this title in the original language, which is Shaddai, El Shaddai, which is used to, to talk about the, the God Almighty. This is a title that emphasizes his power. It's a title that emphasizes his sovereignty. This is Naomi's way of talking about God. Let's just, just think about this dynamic she's talking about. She's talking about these negative things that she's perceiving that God has done. But in the way that she talks about God, she's basically saying, God is great. Even though I don't feel it right now because I'm bitter, even though I don't feel it right now because of all of this stuff that is going on in my life. And just the way that she describes God, the way that she gives attributes to God, she's saying, God is great. God is almighty. God is powerful. This, this is who God is. And again, this just reminds me of Job because over 30 times in the book of Job, Job uses the same title for God. Job attributes the power and, and almighty. This is, this is God. God is, God is great. And by great, I don't mean like awesome. I mean like he's powerful. He is amazing. He is almighty. This is who this is who she describes God as. And not only does she describe him as great, she calls him good as well. And when she talks about the Lord, the title that she uses here, the, the, she says Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God. It's a, it's a name that when people spoke it, it was to remind them of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. It was to remind them of everything that God had brought them through in those early years that I was talking about earlier, from Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's to remind them of the faithfulness of God as he brought them out of Egypt, as he brought them to the promised land. This is Yahweh. This is the name that Naomi is using to describe God. I, I just, just, you can just feel the tension even here. I'll, I'll read this again and just read this knowing that. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord, this, but Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Yahweh has afflicted me. The Almighty, this Shaddai, has brought misfortune upon me. So even, even saying, look at these negative things that I feel like God is doing, there's still just this, this respect of who God is. There's still a knowledge of God is great. God is the Almighty. God is faithful and God is good. Even in the midst of 10 years of a nightmare. I mean, just, just think about that. Because I think here's the, here's the promise that we get even just from this from this, these two verses of Naomi here, is that even in the midst of the darkness and the despair in our lives, God is still great. God is still good. God is faithful. God is still almighty. God is still all-powerful. God is 
who God is, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our nightmares, even in the midst of our hurts and our despair. God is great. God is good. God is faithful. And there are times, even like Naomi in chapter 1, where we feel like God is not near to us, where God is inflicting us with some things that are just not fair. I don't, I don't deserve this. God, I don't deserve to go through this. I, I don't need any of this. I don't deserve any of this. But in, even in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of, of all of that, we can feel like God is not near, but God is close by. We can feel like God is not involved in our lives. We can feel like, like God is not close to us, but God is, God is close. We have promises in Scripture that God is near to the brokenhearted. We have promises that as we draw near to Him, He, he draws near to us. God, God, we have promises in Scripture of God comforting those who need comfort. This is where God is in those moments. And even though it feels like God is not near, even though it feels like God is just, is just trashing us, like uh, God, God took away my husband, He took away my sons, look at all the things. Like she's, she's honestly even just, just blaming God for this. Right, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. God, even this great God has made my life bitter. He's still great, but man, am I bitter. He's made my life bitter. He's, he's taken a lot of things from me. I went away full, but Yahweh brought me back empty. Have you felt like that? Have you gone through a season in your life where it just feels like, man, God, I'm just, I don't have anything left. I went away full. I've, I've experienced the fullness of life. I've experienced the fullness that you can offer. But right now, in this moment, God, I am empty. And it's easy in those moments to feel like God is not near to me. God is not close by. But even in those moments, we have a promise in Scripture that God is faithful. We have a promise in Scripture that God is nearby. We have a promise in Scripture that even from the first time you cried out, your voice is heard. We have a promise in Scripture that God God wants to comfort you. God wants to be in your pain with you. This is our promise. And even though she doesn't necessarily say it straight up in chapter 1, I think Naomi, by the way that she is describing God and, and giving titles to God, knows this. I think she knows. Now, in the next few weeks, we'll kind of see how this story unfolds a little bit. And we'll see how, even in the midst of the darkness and the despair, God shows himself faithful. God shows himself to be true. God shows himself to be there. But for this week, just hold on to this tension that we feel with Naomi. Even in the darkness, even in the, in the despair, even in the dark tension that we have in our lives somewhere, even when it feels like God is not there, just remind yourself, God is good. God is great. God will remain faithful. Remind yourself of that this week, and we'll continue next week.
Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are, for all you do in our lives. Now, this morning, we've spent a lot of time unpacking just kind of the, the foundation of the book of Ruth. But even in this, there's, there's so much tension that we find here. There's this tension between knowing who you are but just feeling abandoned. God, I just pray over anybody in this room who has feeling this tension even in this moment, who knows who you are, who knows that, that you are good, who knows that you are great, who knows all the things that they need to know about you, but is just feeling abandoned right now, is feeling like they're in a dark place. I just pray over them this morning, God, that you would just remind them of your faithfulness, that you would remind them of your goodness, that you would remind them that you are there with them, that you are close to the brokenhearted. God, would you just remind them of your promises to be near? And God, this week as we walk through and we, we feel this, this tension, as we think about this tension between Naomi and Ruth and Naomi and God and Naomi and Ruth and the community, God, as we kind of just kind of process all of these different pieces of tension, God, would you just help us to, to see the tension in our own lives as well, to make that connection and to know that you are near. God, would you go ahead of us this week? Would you be in our workplaces, be in our homes, be in our cars, wherever we may find ourselves, God, would you just go ahead of us, be in our conversations, that the words that we say would be your words, that we might find ourselves in conversations and in meetings where, where we can give you glory. And would that make a difference in our communities, God? God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new, we end the service every, every week the same way. I just ask that you hold out your hands and just, just receive a blessing from God as you go. So let me pray a blessing over you this morning. May our God, God of love and grace and mercy, remind you that even in the dark times, he is near and he is close. Would you go with that knowledge? Would it give you boldness and courage to live the life that he's calling you to live? Would you proclaim his name, make his glory known, make a difference in your community? Go in peace, go in love. Power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you for coming today.